It's the third week in Lent, halfway there, and I'm thinking about marriage and family, not the usual topic that we think of when thinking about Lent. But as a deacon, I spend a great deal of time with couples who want to make their marriages better. Many of these couples are not married in the church. I always ask them why, and most of the time we discover that there is no impediment to getting them married in the church. Still, it is a process. I have to admit that even though these couples are not married in the church, many times they show a great fidelity that sometimes would put Catholic marriages to shame. All the more reason to get them married in the church. This has shown to me that we need a great deal of catechesis about marriage. What is it? What is the difference between a Catholic marriage and what the church calls a natural marriage? What makes a marriage valid? More importantly, how can we welcome and accompany these couples who are not married in the church, but who are in our parishes, how can we help them make it right? And when it cannot be made right, how can we still accompany them? It's not easy, but it is what we are called to do as church. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. And uh, Billy's not here. Billy's going to be here a little later, but okay. it turns out that the guy's really busy updating really? websites and um, I don't know what he's doing. I guess that's kind of an important so job. So he couldn't, he could do Church for Dummies, but he could, he was too good to do our intro with us. Billy, Billy, Billy. So I don't know, Billy. Anyway, um, but we always like to remind people mm-hmm. that they can listen to this program on iTunes and on Google Play. And if you're doing that, you should log in and write us a nice review (laughs) so that we get lots of stars. so, Emily, you are going to have some news yes, for us Yes, as per today. usual. I'm going to try to get through each of the items quickly because I actually have I have quite a bit really? of... Really? A lot pe- of news? A lot of news. I mean... Good news? I would say so. Yeah? Yeah, okay. I would say so. Better than last week's news. Okay, that's so for sure. there you go. So, that's in about five minutes or so. Emily's going to uh, hang out with us uh, and, and, and tell us some good news. So, stick around <laughs> for that. And then after that, Billy will be here. Hopefully, he's going to show up. And, <laughs> or uh, else everyone's just going to turn off their radio. Yeah, exactly, because that's it. Everybody just tunes in <laughs> to listen to Billy. Um, I have no idea what his question of the week is. So, oh. uh, that's going to be interesting. See, uh, Challenge to but, you, But Pedro. it's going to be an extra long one because uh, that's it. And then um, you, you, you've heard, I mean, obviously you've heard of the movie Unplanned. I have heard of it. What have you heard? Other than for me. I've heard that it's very good. Okay. I'm I'm seeing a lot of people tweeting that oh, they're good. going to see it this good. weekend, for yes. example. Yes, or absolutely. that they are seeing it this weekend. And uh, I'm disappointed that I can't do the same thing. Well, that's not opening in Canada. No, exactly. No, it's not. And that's kind of too bad. But I understand. <laughs> well, I understand why it's not fair that these movies don't get sort of wide release. It's not. Um, it's not even opening. I don't think it's opening across the United States but in selected theaters it mm-hmm. is so but anyway I agree with you Emily people should go see it I did get a chance to watch yes. it already because those you are the did. perks You're the, lucky the one. perks of uh, <laughs> doing media um, but the reason why I'm bringing it up and we mentioned this last week is that uh Hopefully, Abby Johnson's going to be joining <laughs> us today in the program. And the reason I'm saying hopefully is because Abby's been traveling, traveling. all over the place. Mm-hmm. There's all these uh, screenings and film openings and, and, and events that she's at. So uh, 
we're going to catch her somewhere, not in an airplane, but maybe in an <laughs> airport or in a taxi somewhere. It's too bad you can't do it in an airplane when you can do it in a taxi. Well, or I think it's happening. Is it? Yeah, because now all the time I get people emailing me and they're like, oh, I'm in the plane. Yeah. Because they're using the Wi-Fi Mind you, you wouldn't want that to happen when you're on a long flight, like an international flight. You mean you don't want people... Hearing people, you know, on the phone constantly. Oh, no, I wouldn't right? want them talking, but they can right. be texting, I suppose, yeah. or emailing. Anyway, if for some <laughs> reason people don't know the story of Abby Johnson, maybe I should be telling them, you know, if you've been under a rock and you've never heard about Abby Johnson, she's the former Planned Parenthood clinic director who left the clinic to become a pro-life advocate. Um, uh, and now it's a major feature film. Uh, opening, as we said, in the United States this weekend. It's a wonderful story. And I said this last week, it's not a wonderful story because it's a pro-life story, mm-hmm. although it is. A, I think it's the best pro-life movie I've ever seen. Um, but it's it's a story about how God plans, about how nothing about God is unplanned. I love mm. that title. So I think it's a great, it's a great story. Um, you haven't even read the book, have you, Emily? No. No, but you know the story. I didn't know it was a book, Pedro. There is a book. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you can borrow the book. Okay, I maybe that's book. what I'll do then. You can borrow the book. Who needs and to see I me? read the book in like mm. in like a weekend. Okay. I literally it's sat down that. and read it. It's just a great story. It's a good okay. story. Um, and uh, so hopefully Abby Johnson will be with us today to tell us more. All the details. I have so many questions for Abby. Um, so that's going to be in about 20 minutes. And then at the end of the program, we're going to be meeting a new singer-songwriter. I always love meeting new singer-songwriters. I'm <laughs> amazed at how many there are. And, and I'm amazed at how many there are as I well. Because every time we're on this show, there's someone new. <laughs> I know. And every time I ask Emily, so have you heard of the, this, this person? And she never has. I know, because I'm the one living under a rock. <laughs> no, no. But, but no, but there's so many. And it's the just, quality of, of them, music yeah. is so much better than it mm-hmm. was, you know, I don't know. You know, 10 years ago, there was not even nearly the, the, the just this, this great music coming out. So Teresa Peterson, she's from Michigan, and uh, she has a new album. It's called Faithful, and we're going to be speaking with Teresa at the end of the program. But why don't we start with a song from that album? Here's Teresa Peterson with the title track from her new album, Faithful. In the silence surrounding me stillness I hear you whispering in the wreckage of all my misery you are you are faithful father of glory and light you are faithful you bring
was Teresa Peterson with Faithful from her new album of the same name. And we're going to be speaking with Teresa Peterson in our second half hour. And in about five minutes, Billy, we're still hoping that he's going to be here. Billy Chan, Church for Dummies. But first, Emily's still here. I am. And you have a lot of news, you said. I do. So I'm going to okay. try to get through we this, got the clock going. you know, t- in a timely fashion. All right. Um, so I, we were mentioning last week that the Pope was going to release a post-synodal yes. exhortation. Yes. And I, I Is do it released? Bl- so, No. Uh, it's not released. You signed it. So, yes. Can you... Sorry. This is my segment, <laughs> Pedro. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just excited. <laughs> you are. That's okay. It's very good. So, he, he signed it when he was at the Shrine of uh, Loreto. Yes. The in Italy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> shrine <laughs> dedicated to the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Yes. And, we're uh, not going to go into the story of the Shrine of Loreto and how it got there, right? No, we're not. Okay, good. good <laughs> we have no time. That's not news. That'll be another <laughs> church for dummies. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so the title of what we do know is that the title of the post-synodal exhortation is um, Vive Cristo Esperanza Nuestra, which is um, Christ Our Spanish. Hope. It is. So actually it was the original is written in Spanish. Uh, the title means Christ Our Hope Lives. Oh. So he mm-hmm. signed it on May 25th, uh, May 25th. March 25th, which, it, which is the, um, which was the feast of the Annunciation, mm-hmm. and he wanted it to be a way to dedicate young people around the world to the Virgin Mary. Um, so the I, I believe that the plan is to release the translation or even to release the Spanish one on April 2nd is the date that I heard. Okay. Um, but uh, but no, it has not been released. Okay. Yet the full the All full right. text. So we're still waiting, but it's been signed. Yes. So at least we know, and it's in Spanish. Good. Yes, I like exactly. Spanish. Um, and, okay, so at the Vatican, uh, do you know about L'Osservatore Romano? The newspaper? Yeah. The photographic it's service? Like, well, yeah. it's the official yeah. newspaper of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2012, there was a, an insert that was um, created uh, that was focused or dedicated solely to issues relating to women. It was on women. So it was called okay. uh, Women, Church, World. Okay. And um, anyway, so basically what happened is that the foundress of this insert, this supplement, I guess you could call it, in in the newspaper, um, and her whole um, editing team, uh, which are composed mainly of women or only of women, they resigned. Okay. I know. It's a bit of a strange thing. Um, So this came out obviously this week and um, the last issue will be released on April 1st. And inside of the issue, uh, there's an open letter to Pope Francis kind of sharing their uh, disappointments in how things had been run recently um, since um, someone someone kind of took took the position of editor-in-chief at right. uh, L'Osservatore Romano and yeah. so the women were saying we kind of feel like you know we've been delegitimized and we don't uh, really have full independence anymore like we've huh. had to been they felt like they had to follow a certain editorial line and okay. it wasn't really in line with what they wanted so um, all of them are resigning in the issue, I'm assuming, will now no longer exist. So there hasn't been anything, any follow-up to that. Um, the editor-in-chief of L'Osservatore Romani denied these accusations and saying, you know, I, I, I never tried to take control of it. Yeah. Um, I only maybe suggested ideas and things, but yeah. nothing nothing more than that. So 
maybe more to come on that story, but that it's kind of a sad, I guess, a sad news. And I guess so, yeah. And, and I know that the foundress was a very well-respected woman uh, at the Vatican okay. and, in, and in Rome. So. It sounds like we'll hear more about that mm-hmm. in the weeks to come. Yeah. Um, okay, now something else that happened this week. Well, you know what? I'm actually going to keep that for the last little bit of news. Yes. Um, in Canada, as you know, a lot of us have heard, a lot of you have heard, uh, those listening to us, that a Father Claude Grouf, who was the yes. rector at Laurent, the uh, St. Joseph Oratory in Montreal, um, was uh, stabbed while he was um, celebrating Mass um, a week and a half ago. Yes. So um, he was released from hospital this week, and he um, he he shared in a in a formal. Uh, press release, I guess you yes. could say, um, that he doesn't hold any grudge against his attacker, who was a young man, by the way. He's right. 26 or 27 years old. Um, his name is Vlad Christian Aramira, um, and he is accused of um, of attempted murder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's going to be going on trial in, in April. He's undergoing a psychiatric evaluation at the moment. But uh, Father Claude Grou, you know, is praying for him and um, is thanking all of the faithful as well at the oratory for their support and their prayers. Um, and he'll be taking some days of rest. Yes, um, he Until should. he fully recovers. Yeah, so. good. Yeah, with lots of prayers for Father Grou when it yes. happened. Yes. Okay, final uh, final little thing. There was a video that was shared on social media this week. It kind of, it really made its rounds. Even secular media picked up on it. It's this 53-second yeah, video of the Pope, of Pope Francis pulling away the his hand video. while people were in line to kiss it. And um, and it was a really it's a really awkward thing to watch because the the Pope just seems so uncomfortable, uncomfortable. and and it's awkward and you kind of feel bad for the people who are going up and kissing his hand but yes. there's kind of a little bit more to the story than that so apparently there were over you know hun- a hundred people like yes. monks and religious and seminarians and everybody was kissing and everybody. well or like at it, least it, half of them at the, yeah, yeah half of them so not everyone was I think at the beginning it was. You know, people were just greeting him, and then eventually another batch of people came up. But no one really gave instruction as to how to yeah. greet the Pope. So, um, you know, I can I can imagine those people saying, "Okay, well, I don't really know what to do. I see this person in front of yeah. me. I think they're going we're down to, to kiss the, kiss the hand. ring. Yeah, yeah, exactly, kiss the ring, which is this old tradition that yes. dates back centuries, right? Yes. Um, but actually, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth abolished Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth abolished that um, custom yes. of kissing the Pope's ring. Um, And he even shared in an interview he did uh, in 2012 saying, you know, I I abolished this, but no one's really following it. So it's still happening. Nobody listens to the Pope. Yeah. So the Pope allowed, Pope Francis in this this instant, before the video, you know, those few seconds that we see, he was actually kind of okay with it. But then eventually... Just too much. I don't know. It was just too much for him. Um, And yeah, so kind of a funny thing that happened this week with Pope Francis. Pope goes viral. Yeah. Yeah, a little strange. I think they should, you're right, they should just, when when there's people greeting the Pope, they should make an announcement and say, this is the protocol and don't kiss his ring. Yeah, exactly. I have parishioners that kiss my hand because I'm the deacon. Like, really? Yeah. So then I kiss their hand. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a ring. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Emily. You're Those welcome, are Pedro. our news. Good news. It's funny news. Not great news. <laughs> All kinds of news today. With Emily Callan, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. Remember, you can follow her at Emmy Callan. Hi, this is Ryan Tremblay, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour 
with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for Chess for Dummies with Billy Chan, who was too busy to be with us for the introduction. I'm very but sorry. But I, I know you're very busy, but I'm happy that you, you, you're gracing us. Grace. I, grace. I'm receiving the grace <laughs> of having you in our presence, at least for this little segment. You know I love this segment. I know. You know, you and, and, and my friend actually complained about my segment. You know what? They said, why are your questions too dumb? Because it's Church for Dummies. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why today oh, no. I, I'm going to ask you a really not dumb question. Okay. Okay? And it is actually linked to last week. Is it last week? No, two no, weeks like ago, two right? two weeks ago, yes. No, three. Three no, weeks two. ago. Anyway, last time. Okay, last time. I was asking about um, um, why Jesus has to die. Yes. Right? And, um, and it actually linked to a word. Oh, today, actually, uh, there will be a lot of vocabulary Okay. That we always use in a Catholic church, and we always misuse. I, I cannot say we because I always misuse, mis- okay, and so a lot of people misuse that. So we're learning vocabulary. Today. Okay, so let's okay. link it to like you know because of Jesus, um, uh, we always think that uh, uh, no because of um, uh, we. <laughs> okay, I'm <laughs> listening. Uh, don't give me this that face. Okay, I'm listening. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because. Uh, um, 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 Jesus has to die. Yes. And this called salvation, is it? The word salvation, what does that actually mean? Well, salvation means that we are not uh, going to suffer the consequences of that original sin and our and our and our actual sin, so that we can go and be in heaven. So is so um, when we're saved means that we're going to heaven. So basically, um, uh, so the process that Jesus died is the salvation allows us. Mm-hmm to be able to be saved. Oh, okay. So so the the act the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is what redeems us. His sacrifice is redemptive and that redemption is available to everyone, which is why the pope once said that even Hitler has been redeemed, everybody has been redeemed. But that doesn't mean that everybody's saved because we have to accept that redemption. Oh, we need and to cooperate with that, cooperate with that grace. So I need, oh. And then and so that we can be saved. Okay. Now the second word. Okay. Is grace. Okay. Grace. So I, you yeah, know. That's why you're laughing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you actually link it to grace. Yeah. And uh, we always say that uh, we cannot receive grace. We can. We have grace, and grace cannot be earned. It. Okay. What is grace? Uh, grace. It, you know what the simplest and best example or definition of grace that I've uh, ever found is that grace. Well, grace is a gift, which is why it cannot be earned, because it's a free gift. God gives us his grace. So I cannot, can I give grace to you? Mm, so is well, it only n- God can give yes, grace to me? Yes, because grace is not just any gift, Okay. but it's actually the gift of God's very life that he gives us. So it's like if you want to live underwater, you cannot live underwater because you, you're not a fish. So you need an oxygen tank. So that's okay. grace. So that we can live underwater. We are not equipped to live in heaven. So we need God's grace, his very life, so that we can be equipped to be in heaven with him. Okay, so all gift is but it's, grace. It's a, all gift from God. From God. Is grace. But the gift that I give it to you, Pedro. Is just a gift. It's just a gift. It's, it's not a, a grace. Gift. Yes, but you haven't given me any gifts lately. <laughs> Thank you for saying it aloud. Yeah, just so that people know. <laughs> okay. For the record, no gifts. From okay. Billy. So grace is only from God. 
yes. and is uh, something uh, that yes. we cannot do uh, because of grace we can do. Grace gives us Okay, so <laughs> the the Catholic Church teaches that there's okay. there's what we call sanctifying grace. Oh. And that's sort of a general gr- you've heard about this, right? Yeah. So the the this is like the the grace that we receive from God that stays with us and that we can we can even say that we accumulate so we get more and more and more and more and more and more okay. so that we can have all that we need to go to heaven. It's not a perfect analogy, but so that we can exist, quote unquote, in heaven. Okay. And then we, the church teaches that there's also actual grace. So that's kind of like the little graces that we get, like oh, the push, okay. the little uh, God gives you a little okay. uh, push so that you can kind of <laughs> make it through the day. Right. And and we can probably even say that those actual graces accumulate into sanctifying grace. Right. Um, does that make sense? Yes, but you know, it actually make me more confusing with the word mercy, because okay. because uh, when you know God give us grace, and some and a lot of time we said we 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 said um, uh, mercy on us, have mercy on us, God yes. have mercy on us, right? I think that God's mercy can be seen as a grace because it's a gift. Oh, okay. So anything that God gives us is a gift, and it's grace. And it's free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't buy it. You can't blackmail God into receiving <laughs> grace, right? But we can do things that cooperate with grace so that we can get more grace. So that's where there's a bit of distinction with, uh, you know, do you know the, the, uh, the, the quote that when Jesus sees, uh, meets Nicodemus and that probably the most famous scripture passage for God so loved the world, Yeah. right? that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. Okay, so that's grace. Okay. That's salvation. That's okay. grace, right? But Jesus doesn't, that's where the quote ends, but that's not where the quote ends. People forget that the next thing that Jesus says is that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light. So he's saying that even though we've received this free gift, we then have to cooperate with it because we have to behave as children of the light so that we we receive the free gift of grace and then we cooperate with grace. Okay. Because you can't just receive the gift of grace and then live, you know, whatever, do whatever and not even acknowledge God and, and murder and, and steal and cheat. That's not cooperating grace. So then that grace that we're receiving as a free gift can't, like a seed, can't grow, can't flourish, is, is useless. Okay. So, um, so how about mercy? What about mercy? Mercy. What is mercy then? Mercy, <laughs> mercy is because you said uh, mercy can be seen as a as a as a grace. Yeah, so from I God. mean, uh, very generally. So when you do something that r- has a real consequence, like you 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 do something that you, yeah, or a, mm-hmm. uh, and and then the person who can exact that justice, who can actually make you pay for what you've done, decides to let you off and not give you what you deserve, that's mercy. That's forgiveness. Well, no. Forgiveness is... Well, forgiveness can be mercy, but not necessarily. Okay, so... This is so complicated. So it's very complicated. Yeah, no, it is. It is. So... so. Do you have an example? Because every example that I heard from mercy is about forgiveness. Yes. Um, and I think that that forgiveness... I think that mercy is more than just forgiveness. We mm-hmm. tend to think that mercy has to do with compassion. And it is, mm, it does. Yeah, yeah. But in fact, um, and the Pope has spoken about this, um, 
in a general audience address during the year of mercy. I remember that he he said this that made it seem that God's perfect justice is also perfect mercy. So God cannot be perfectly just if he's not perfectly merciful and he cannot be perfectly merciful if he's not perfectly just. Those two things are actually the same thing. So and we see this in scripture, you know, and if you think of it's like if mercy is only forgiveness, then it's actually not helping the aggressor. So true mercy actually converts the aggressor. So the Pope says that the only way that justice can triumph is if the guilty party acknowledges the harm and has done and ceases to do evil no longer. So in fact, they're converted. So true true justice, yeah, which is true mercy, means that the person who committed the sin or the... the, the, the who, who committed the crime or whatever is actually not just forgiven, but is actually converted. That's actually my, my, my last question about, about justice. Uh, justice and mercy. How can they be be together? Because it sounds like contradiction. No, they're not. No, um, they're not. Yet. From what I heard from you is about the justice. Yes. Because the justice is help us to to get better. And that's because of we have perfect mercy, then we have perfect justice. Yes. And if you think about that, and that'll actually make perfect sense. Yeah. God's justice and God's mercy go hand in hand. Uh -huh. God cannot be perfectly just if he's not perfectly merciful. And he cannot be perfectly merciful if he's not perfectly just. So th those two things are not opposites. They're the same thing. So God, when God is perfectly just, he's actually being perfectly merciful. And that's actually very profound. Um, if you think of, and we see that in scripture, I mean, if you think of, um, and I actually found a couple of scripture passages. I know we're running out of time. <laughs> but, you know, like Isaiah says, here's my servant whom I uphold. Um, he will bring justice to the nations. Okay. So we know that Christ came to bring justice. But then how does it continue? He says, what does that mean? That he will not shout or cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So is that justice? It means that that, that sounds like mercy. Um, uh, uh, Isaiah later on says, um, uh, talking about the Lord, he rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. He shows compassion. Why? Because he's a God of justice. That's Isaiah 30, 18, 19. Zephaniah says, uh, the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice show mercy and compassion to one another, justice and mercy together. Uh, Micah, probably one of my favorite scripture passages. What what does God require of you? Micah 6, 8, to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Mm -hmm. So it's always justice and mercy uh, together. Um, I know it doesn't quite answer all the questions you've asked. Yeah, we, we I think probably, we need more examples, yeah, yeah. maybe next time, you know, to talk we more can, about that. We can, and I think that. the yes. examples are, are difficult because we human beings cannot be perfectly just. Mm. We can try yeah, 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 yeah. to be just, but we, we can't can be perfectly just. But we can be, yeah. we can be pretty good at being merciful. Yes. God can only be perfect, perfectly just. So it's hard to find human examples, but maybe we can find some scripture, yeah, yeah, scriptural yeah. examples. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hard questions. More. Hard questions with Billy Chan, um, who is now a, a theologian on the make in the <laughs> making. Other than up <laughs> you need to go. Thank you. You were so busy. And now here you spend 10 minutes here with me. Thank you. Um, Billy Chan. He's uh, our uh, salt and light uh, web master. You can follow him at B. Joe Chan.
Coming up in our second half hour, a featured interview with Abby Johnson, and we meet singer-songwriter Teresa Peterson. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Unplanned is a film based on the book of the same name by Abby Johnson, who worked at a Planned Parenthood clinic for eight years. She moved up the ranks to become the clinic's director, but quit her job after participating in an actual abortion procedure. She literally went down the street to join the Coalition for Life. I remember when this happened in October 20, 2009. It made national news, and I've spoken about the film before in this program. It's a powerful story of transformation, but it's also about how nothing about God's plan for us is unplanned. Abby Johnson has been uh, very busy with the film opening this week, uh, but we actually did manage to get a hold of her, and uh, Abby Johnson joins us now Abby, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. We've been uh, uh, talking about you coming on the program for a couple of weeks now. Um, you've been criticized. Well, you've been criti- you've been criticized uh, by a lot of people about a lot of things. But um, <laughs> one of the things that I've heard, or one of the questions that I've heard, is that many people wonder about how long it took you to kind of come, if I can say what I've heard, to come to your senses, to, to sort of see the truth. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? It's very apparent in the film and even in the book that, you know, kind of what was that inner struggle that you were going through for eight years? Yeah, honestly, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have an inner struggle um, uh-huh. for the majority of my time with Planned Parenthood. I mean, I believed I was doing the right thing. I, I cared about the women that we were seeing. I believed that, um, abortion was absolutely a right that mm-hmm. a woman uh, could choose. Um, there really wasn't any internal struggle until my final year with Planned Parenthood, and that was um, when uh, several things had been announced. We were going to be opening a facility that was going to perform abortion through the six months of pregnancy, which was troubling to me. It just didn't feel like we should be performing abortions that far into pregnancy. Right. Um, then I was in a meeting where I was told that we were going to be doubling our abortion quota, Right. which was also troubling to me because I really believed these talking points that I had been given by Planned Parenthood that our goal was to reduce the number of number of abortions. So if that was true, then why were we Doubling, being instructed yes. to double our quota? Um, so honestly, there really wasn't, okay, I mean, yeah. I didn't have a problem with what I was doing um, until that, that final year, those right. last few okay. months that I was there. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were three moments in the movie that I want to ask you about because the, they're not in the book. And I know that, and you've said this, that everything that's in the movie uh, really happened, and, I, and, I, and I'm not questioning that, but I'm, I'm curious because I think it, it, it points to deeper, other deeper questions. The first one is a moment in the film where, and I don't know if, I mean, obviously they're probably not their real names, but there's a character. I think the dad is someone who you knew, his daughter, mm-hmm. in the movie, a film I think she's called Christina, and she suffers from a ruptured mm-hmm. uterus during the procedure. Um, not that it matters to me whether it actually happened or not, but my question is, is does that thing was that thing common or how common was that 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 there would be a, a, a situation like that, a ruptured uterus? Yeah, I mean, that definitely uh, happened in our facility multiple times. That is a true story of a, a young woman who a young woman who I'm still in contact with today, actually, yeah, um, she was close. Uh, to our family and, and still is. 
Um, wow. And in the film, so yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, that absolutely does happen. And in the film, you lie to the parent. I mean, you, they lie to the right. actual young woman. Was that also co- fairly common that you would kind of keep? The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You never told the patient what actually what had happened. Took place, or <laughs> no, they weren't going to remember it anyway. Right. And to tell her what really took place is uh, is potential liability. For the right. clinic. Of course, so you just, of course. It was something that you just didn't talk about. No, and I would think that and in the film, it shows the, your character kind of being a little troubled about that. And I would think that you, that even though you've just told me that you didn't really have an inner struggle, but I think that there would have been moments throughout those eight years where you would have had kind of inklings that maybe something wasn't quite right. Yeah, I mean, for that particular situation, it was, I mean... I knew them. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't remember feeling troubled about lying to him necessarily right. because yeah. I had promised them that everything was going to be fine and I, I didn't want them to think that I was, um, that I had not been honest with them to begin with. Right. Um, yeah. And so, but it was just, it was very scary. It was a very scary moment for me um, to see up close this type of, this type of complication right. happened to someone who I, I knew and, and cared yeah. about. There was another moment, again, in the film that's not in the book, and, and when your supervisor, Cheryl, in, it, it, she's going to propose to you that, that you take over the directorship of the clinic, and but she brings you into mm-hmm. what they call the POC room, the mm-hmm. product of conception room, to show you the dismembered fetuses. Um, did that actually happen? And kind of what was that experience for you again? Yeah, yeah, that definitely happened. Um, yeah, it was just like that, and um, I don't, I did not feel any hesitation. Um, that's something that's hard, it's sort of hard <laughs> to yeah. explain to someone um, how that didn't bother me. But I think when you're so entrenched mm-hmm. um, in evil like that, um, it, it, I don't know. I think you just sort of become callous and and blinded yeah. um, to this this darkness that's surrounding you. I just remember being uh, really intrigued mm-hmm. by what I was seeing right. in that dish, not heartbroken at all that right. this, this was a baby that had been killed by us. Yeah. Um, I just remember... I, I remember not being bothered at all yeah. during that moment. Is is I mean, as hard hearted as that sounds, no, I mean it just yeah. I, I just wasn't. Yeah, I think I think I think I get it. Um the last moment I want to ask you is uh, a moment when I think it is, happens exactly at the same time when they when you're called into the procedure room to help with this ultrasound guided abortion at the same time Sean and Sean Carney and his wife Marilisa are outside praying over the remains of the embryos and fetuses. They're just about to be taken in the medical waste truck. Um, again, whether it happened at the same time or whether that was happening is not my question, but how common would that have been, that it would have been that obvious for people to see that these remains were being taken away or for the people from Coalition to Love Life, uh, for Life had the chance to pray over those remains? Yeah, it was pretty obvious um, when the truck came. It was a stericycle train. Yeah. Um, that came into our facility. They're a biohazard medical waste yes. company. Um, so they pick up sharps and 
human remains and whatever needs to be incinerated. Yes. Um, so it's pretty obvious to the people who are outside what what was what was in mm-hmm. um, what was going into those trucks, and they they came every two weeks. So right. Uh, there was a, a lot of you know after two weeks there was a lot of waste. Um, that they had to pick out from our facility. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I'm asking also, and I think it leads to my next question, because prayer is a big part of this story. There's a lot of prayer going on um, for you, for the for the victims, for the women. The, I mean, I guess you're all victims in a sense. Because um, the journey for you not just took you literally from one side of the fence to the other side of the fence. It took you, you know, straight to Coalition for Life. Um, but it also took you into the Catholic Church. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, after I uh, after I left Planned Parenthood, uh, I you know all of my friends from the clinic they didn't have anything to do with me anymore. Right. Um, so I had all these new friends who were involved in the pro life movement, and the majority of them were Catholic. And uh, Doug and I were <coughs> we were. <laughs> We were kicked out of the Episcopal Church. Right. Doug um, is your, your husband, Doug. Where yes. we had been attending um, because we were now publicly pro-life, and so we were told we weren't welcome in the Episcopal Church anymore, hmm. um, which was fine. We knew we didn't want to go there anymore anyway because the Episcopal Church, is, is their doctrine is, is pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started looking for a church that was liturgical that was also pro-life, and there's not very many of them. There's no. You know, Anglican, Lutheran, Missouri Synod, um, and Catholic. Right. And so we were going to Anglican churches and going to Missouri Synod, Lutheran churches. And, you know, our, our new friends kept telling us, you know, oh, you should just go to Mass. And Doug and I had both been raised pretty anti-Catholic. Yeah. So we were like, eh, no, we really don't have an interest. They kept bothering us. So we said, okay, look, let's just go to Mass. We'll tell them that we hated it, and then they'll leave us alone. <laughs> so um, one Sunday we went, and we both just walked out and sat in the car, and we said, you know, something about that felt right, and we wanted to learn more. And so we got into RCIA. We actually, it was just Doug and I in a private RCIA class right. with the director of the program, and um it was really a beautiful experience. And then we both ended up coming into the church, uh, Easter of 2012. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, I know you're really busy, so I have one last, last question and I'm hoping that this is kind of going to bring it all together. What, what would you say that ultimately this film is about? Um, you know, it's really, it's really about conversion. Um, it's showing that, conversion is available to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it also offers to all of us who are already pro-life, it offers a conversion experience for us Yeah, that, you know, we really step out on the front lines of this issue that, you know, we start talking about this as often as possible that we get involved in the pro-life movement and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not enough just say that we're pro-life, but we actually have to live right. as though we're pro-life. And so it, it provides that opportunity for for everyone. 
who sees the film. Yeah, for sure. I've been telling everybody that that, and as I said in the intro, that it's a story about how God God plans. And 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 to go back to those, the reason why I wanted to ask you about those three moments, because even though you said that it didn't bother you, it didn't phase you, because you were so entrenched, that maybe now looking back, you can see how God was slowly working on Abby Johnson, showing you, uh, having you listen, having you experience um, situations to slowly, eventually bring you to where you are now. And uh, for me, that's I mean, that's such a such a grace. And it's maybe even the story of God's kind of love for all of us. So I thank you for sharing your story with us because uh, I think it's going to touch a lot of people for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Abby. Thank you very much. Unplanned opened in theaters across the United States on March 29th. You can learn more and find a theater near you at unplannedfilm.com. You can also purchase the book. There's a special movie edition published by Ignatius Press. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Teresa Peterson, with one and only from her new album, Faithful. That was Teresa Peterson with one and only from her new album, Faithful. Teresa Peterson's journey of faith and music began at 16 years old. She is now a worship leader, speaker, and singer-songwriter. She has led worship and participated in countless events across the United States and leads worship for... uh, Uh, Encounter Ministries in Michigan. She has just released her second album, which we've been listening to, Faithful. And as you can tell, this album is joyful and powerful. It's the kind of music that's good for worship, but also to listen to in the car or, as I like to think, at the dock. 
And to tell us more, <laughs> I'm now joined by Teresa Peterson. Teresa, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I don't know why <laughs> I think of the dock when I listen to your music, but there you go. It's not quite summer. Maybe it's because we're so hopeful that, that it's summer. Spring and summer are coming soon. Absolutely. And it was our intention to to record more of a summer worship record. So I'm I'm happy that that's exactly where it takes you because that was our intent. Okay, good, good. Because I was just going to say you in Michigan probably have the same weather that we're having in Ontario. It seems like it's getting a little better. Yeah, I technically I think we're up to 50. I'm still wearing my winter coat, so I don't yeah, know what that says about me. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's hope. There's always hope. Easter hope. There's always hope, yeah. <laughs> so, Teresa, tell us a little bit about what uh, what life growing up for you was like. Yeah, so uh, my parents are both converts to the faith. Yeah. Um, so uh, in their like late 30s, and um, my dad was just, he just fell madly in love with the truth of the faith and so we had that passion in the house growing up, and I even remember my dad um, calling like me and my sister away from the television, like watching cartoons. He's oh, like, yeah. "Girl, you have to come upstairs. I have to share this new encyclical with you." you know? <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited, and That's I funny. truly believe that more is caught than taught. So, like with that example, yes. like it just really set us on fire for our own faith, and like um, I had my own personal experience with the Lord and. Um, in adoration yeah. and gave my heart to him at 14, which is when my faith really became real for myself. Uh-huh. Um, but it was just really fostered in an element of faith in our family and, and tight-knit family. Right. So it's beautiful. Is it, is it just you and your sister? I have an older brother as well, uh-huh. um, but my um, he's, he's much older. And then um, my sister and I are about a year and a half apart. Okay. So, so yeah. Nearly so twins, it felt like. <laughs> nearly twins, yeah. And was it a musical household? Was Were you doing, like, piano lessons at age six? Yes. Um, yes, I was. And my mom said, she actually apologized later. She's like, I'm sorry I put you in piano lessons before you even knew how to read. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, Thank you, yeah, Mom. So yeah, it was great. My dad is super musical, um, is actually a worship leader okay. um, in his younger years as well. So, like, there was just music in the house. And, um, and I actually really, it was really spiritual, like having my dad sing those worship hymns and songs in the house that we would come up to him and like sing and jump around him. And, and, uh, yeah, it's like one of a cherished memory of mine. So what your dad was doing worship, like leading worship at mass, was he doing liturgical music or was it other? Yeah. So yeah. he would do, he would, uh, occasionally do mass and he would also do, um, prayer groups and okay. um, prayer meetings as well. They were part of the Charismatic Renewal down in, okay. in Dallas in the 70s. So, okay, um, yeah, of course. It was in, in the water down That there, makes so. sense. That makes sense. And and how how uh, old were you when you started doing music at Mass? Were you singing in a choir or did, were you doing music at church? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I was probably in middle school is when I started really um, maybe more stepping out and just um, being a part of the church choir being a part of choir in uh, middle school, and I think I started playing guitar. I, I'm self-taught with my guitar. Yeah. Um, my dad actually kind of taught me a few chords, and I was like 14 when I started picking that up. And yeah, yeah and I um, started uh, leading worship just after high school. Right. Now, you said you had that uh, experience at age 14 with the Blessed Sacrament. Um, you had also told me earlier that there had been a, a, a bit of a conversion experience when you were 16. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what changed... That was, I mean, clearly, if you call it a conversion, like what, what, what? what oh, what? yes. So, yeah, so at 14, I gave my heart to the Lord, and it wasn't like there was like thunder and lightning, but I just really felt, I was like, God, um, if giving my heart to you means I get the peace and joy that these people have, like <clears throat> the leaders on, on right. the retreat, I was like, I want that. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, my heart really shifted and changed, and I felt peace um, permeate my whole being. And so as I was like walking it out as like a young teenager, um, I was falling in love with Jesus and the Eucharist and worship music and just really falling in love with my faith. So at 16, so I'm walking this out. At 16 years old, I have this moment um, in adoration. It's, it was on a, um, a weekend retreat, and I just heard, and it was pretty quiet, and I, I just heard the Lord speak to me, and he was like, Teresa, I desire for you to sing for me and to sing for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I always wish you could tell, like, God could be like, and this is exactly what I mean and how your life is going to unfold. Like, yeah. So um, it, was, it was a pretty straightforward message, but it still had held a lot of mystery for me. But yes. um, that that word, really, I've been carrying that word for the last 20 years and just really fostering that and, like, what does that look like in my life? And, um, yeah, it really set me on quite a path. But is it because you were thinking of of doing secular music at the time? Were you thinking I'm going to be, like, a famous singer but not necessarily d- doing Christian music? Yeah, I had literally no idea. It was so crazy. And, um, and honestly, I want to say that um, being more of like a, like a worship leader wasn't really a thing. I uh-huh. think people would yeah, lead, no. lead worship, but yes. I think there was some, you know, some Christian music out there, but but nothing like maybe what we have now, what it's formed to. Right. And so for my idea, I just maybe felt like God was asking me to be an artist who was Christian um, at the time. That's what I discerned. So I actually did do um, about ten years in the in the secular market, and it okay. was wonderful. And um, I stretched, and I really grew a lot, and. I lived in Nashville for a while and, yep. and did like the country music singer songwriter thing and really learned how to write songs and write music. Um, but I really found my niche as the Lord has been like shifting and um, helping me on this path. Like I really feel like I found my niche uh, right. singing for the Lord in His church for right. people. So this album, Faithful, um, w- did you set out to write a, a themed album w- with that title, or or were these a, s- songs that you had that kind of sort of made sense with where you are in your journey now, where you feel that you want to say something about the faithfulness of God? Yeah, so I do tend to write from an autobiographical standpoint. Yeah. So um, it tends to be my prayer. <laughs> and um, I was just really going through a season where I was just really needed to press into the faithfulness of God. And I wasn't expecting Experiencing that faithfulness, I wasn't experiencing that promised land. I felt like I was wandering around the desert for forty years, <laughs> where Moses and and yeah. then you just just you're, you're you know it's an eleven day journey, but for whatever reason it feels like it's taken forty years to get there. So, yes. um, so I wanted to take that as inspiration and sing that more as like a prophetic line over my life of like who God is, who is calling up me to be, what He's been you know His plans over my life, and that they're good. And I wanted to sing hope over that mm-hmm. instead of maybe like, I think we can all easily fall into a pit of misery and self-pity. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I don't want to dwell on that. I was like, no, I want to sing like who God is and I want to sing about um, the breakthrough that is yet to come. And so, yeah, so it was with that intent that we wanted to write, I wanted to write a record that really um, was a, a joyful celebration of that breakthrough. And um, yeah, and so that's, yeah. I, so as I was like pressing in for the songs and I got to write with, a lot of my close friends and my producers and and right. it was just really beautiful the songs that came out it just in that season like this um this collection of songs which really expresses my heart from a wide variety of ranges yeah no and i think you achieved that it's certainly joyful and uh and summer full can i say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> music to listen to at the dock um th- yeah 
Tell me, I'm intrigued by the ministry that you do with Encounter Ministries, uh, leading worship there. Tell us, for people who are not familiar with, I guess they're not in Michigan or near where you are, what is sure. Encounter so Ministries? Sure, so Encounter Ministries is pretty new. Um, they're based out of Br- Brighton, Michigan, uh-huh. and um, really they have a, a call about equipping Catholics to walk in the power and love of the Holy Spirit for the new evangelization. We need a new Pentecost, right? And so um, what does that mean in, in, in our in our daily lives um, and our identities as sons and daughters of God and and through the you know the charism of our baptism, like really reawakening that uh, of that authority in our life, and that we don't need to hide our light under a bushel basket, but we can actually proclaim the name of Jesus right. without fear. And because um, if we step out and risk, He loves 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 to come through. So I get to lead worship um, for um, our staff as well as our students that come and um, come to be equipped. And it's amazing um, to be able to have a body of people that we've been able to walk with and walk through and, and just um, watch the worship grow. It's it's amazing. <laughs> so does it work as like a prayer group? Do people, do you have worship evenings? Yeah, so we actually also have, um, we have a ministry school. And so um, if people want to be like taught how to like um, press in more for prophecy or, or okay. praying for healing or okay. um, inner healing, um and, and things like that, identity or evangelization. So there's just like quarters, just like a like a a nightly, like one night a week. <clears throat> okay. So that they'll do that. Yeah. So we do. So we offer that like one night a week. So I lead worship for that. And then if we have any sort of event, um, locally or nationally, um, I get to lead worship okay. for that. I so, see. And that's you said. Late. You said Brighton, <laughs> Michigan. Is that in, near Detroit? Are you near in the Detroit area? Yeah, we're like. Probably, I'm still new. We're new here. My husband and I just moved here <laughs> okay. in July. Um, so I, we're about 45 minutes west of Detroit. Okay, we're so kind of smack dab in the middle of Lansing. Close. In Detroit, okay. So. so okay. So, um, and w- w- if people want to find out more about Encounter Ministries, is there a website? Encounter Ministries. Dot. Yeah. Something? So Encounter Ministries. Us. Dot us. Okay, so there you go. So yeah. if people are in the Detroit or Lansing, Michigan area, and they want to find out more, if they're visiting Encounter Ministries, um, Teresa, um, it's been so good uh, meeting you and listening to your music. I'm saving it for the summer. Not that you can only listen to it in the summer, but uh, it's going to be especially good. And I'm looking forward to whatever you're uh, working on next so we can get you back on the program. Absolutely. I'm so happy I got to be here and share my heart with you and my music with you. And I'm um, so excited that the doc will be um, blessed my music <laughs> this summer. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Teresa. Okay, God bless. You can learn all about Teresa Peterson, her ministry, and purchase her music at her website, TeresaPetersonMusic.com. Here now is Teresa Peterson with Deeper from her new album, Faithful. listening to Teresa Peterson with Deeper from her new album, Faithful, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can always reach us via email at radio at saltandlighttv.org. 
And you can find Salt and Light as well on Facebook and Twitter at Salt and Light TV. And I'm at Emmy Callan. And I'm not at Emmy Callan. I'm at Deacon Pedro GM. There's also that voicemail app off our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. It's really easy to use if you want to send us comments. Yes. And remember that you can also subscribe to the free Salt and Light Hour podcast off iTunes and on Google Play. It's and free Salt and Light Hour podcast. Free, free, free. You can stream for free or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs also at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. So please go and support what they do. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. And this has been the, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour. It's taken